Before we uh, <clears throat> dive into our scripture lesson for today, I just want to share how thankful I am for our amazing Clay staff team. As I said, I was away the last couple of weeks visiting family, one last uh, trip to visit family before we take my son to Purdue tomorrow, and, and uh, the ministry while I was away was so fantastic. It was fun to watch from a, from a distance. I mean, I, the, the time away was fantastic and much needed, but I, I, I have to be honest, I was a little sad to have missed out on everything that was happening here while I was, was gone. Sue Zumbren, with a fantastic team of volunteers, led another amazing Backpack and Beyond event. I think we distributed over 250 or 260 backpacks through our event here, and like 480-plus backpacks to families in our community. I already mentioned Leanna Fetcher and, and her role in, in coordinating care, and uh, Carolyn's messages, weren't they great? I uh, had the opportunity to watch her scoop up the kiddo uh, on the fly, which was fun to watch, and I was like, could I have done that? I don't know. <laughs> and, uh, um, and I have to tell you, it isn't easy to switch gears from a, from a sort of family-focused sermon series and month, and then preach the next week and, and talk about sin. But Carolyn did it beautifully. <laughs> so today I get to continue our sermon series called Awaken. So it seems appropriate. Wake up! Uh, by the way, that was not, if you're falling asleep already, that, that was not not meant for you. It's just the, the idea of this sermon series. Have you ever had someone tell you to wake up? Now, it may be that they were trying to get you out of bed, but when they say it with emphasis, I think usually when I've heard somebody say, wake up, what they're saying is like, I, I need you to pay attention. I know you're still a little groggy this morning, but, but I don't want you to miss this, so wake up and, and pay attention. The Bible, it repeats these words, wake up, multiple times. The Old Testament and Psalms and in the New Testament, it says, wake up again and again. Why does God invite us to, to wake up? Why does God's word invite us to wake up? Well, there's this really great answer in Ephesians. Ephesians 5, 13 and 14 says this, but everything exposed by the light becomes visible and everything that is illuminated becomes a light. This is why it is said, wake up, sleeper. Rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. We're invited to wake up so that we might see the light of Christ in the world, so that we might have the way of God illuminated for us in our lives. I often think of it this way. We're invited to wake up, so you know those, those lights that you never hope to see on an airplane light up because it would mean you got to get out in a hurry? But it, it's like God wants to, wants to wake us up so we can see those lights to see the path of God that God is inviting us to take in our world and in our individual lives. The prophets invite the people to wake up, right? And to shine a light on the reality of our sinfulness and our brokenness to shine a light on, on injustice, on the plight of others, so that we might see another way in the midst of the brokenness. 
so that we might return to God's way and find hope. Now, one other note before we talk about the prophet today and the prophets. I think this is important. The Bible does not awaken us to sin so that we feel guilty. Right? The Bible awakens us to sin so that we might see God's way and be the community that God desires for us. Let me say that again, because I, I think it's really easy when, when we begin to talk about sin to, to go, oh, I don't want to talk about sin. It's uncomfortable. Or to go, oh, it makes me feel guilty about what I, I'm not doing or what I should be doing or what I've done. Right? It's easy to feel guilty. But the mission of the prophets and the, the focus of the sermon series is not about making people feel guilty. It's not to induce guilt. In Christ, we are forgiven. In Christ, we experience grace. The mission of the prophets and our focus this month, then, is to, is to say, let's name the brokenness so that we can be redeemed. Let's name the places where we're not on the path, where we're not creating the community God desires, so that we can step back in and create the kind of community that God wants for everyone and for us. Let's awaken to sin so that we might see another way. Today we're going to look at what the prophet Amos has to say. And Amos, as we're going to see, is going to talk a lot about poverty, about the poor, and economic inequality in the community. To help us to begin to think about these topics in today's context, I'm really excited to invite Kelly Holst-Haley to uh, join me up here from a, a, for a conversation just from her perspective. Kelly is a social worker in schools today, and we thought as we're walking through this series of the prophets, it would, would be really great to just kind of gain some context about our, our world today or these kinds of issues in our, in our world today. So Kelly, thanks for, thanks for joining me up here. Um, Kelly, just uh, why don't we begin tell, tell everybody a little, bit about, a little bit about you. Okay, well, so I'm Kelly. Um, I am married to Christine, and she's up here in the front. Uh, we have our little son, Miles, who is in his very first day in nursery. So hopefully... He's fine. He's good. He's in good hands. Um, and then uh, I'm a school-based therapist. I work in um, rural communities. Uh, I work in Rochester schools and then um, Bourbon, Indiana, like Triton schools, um, doing therapy with any ages from 5 to 18-year-olds, um, from depression to trauma. ADHD yeah. is a big one. It's super fun. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Kelly, tell us a little bit about, I know we've, We've shared some stories. You've shared some, some observations. Tell us about how you have encountered poverty um, and, and its impact on people, particularly yeah. kids. So I've been thinking about this a lot this week. Um, I have a family, and it's, it's multiple families, but I have one family in particular that has gone through food insecurity, housing problems. They've, like, lost their house, were, like, forced to live in a motel, that is not a great motel. Um, and then we were like giving them food. So like I have purchased myself food for them multiple times. Um, and thinking about like, you don't think about like, they're in a motel, so now we have to find 
microwavable food. They don't have freezer spaces or fridge spaces. So figuring out how to give them food they can eat to microwave, and it's difficult. Um, I mean, drugs is a problem in, in poverty, and I, I've seen that a lot. I've had to call DCS on a lot of, of people that just don't take care of their kids, choose to like spend money on themselves, but don't provide for their own kids. Yeah, I, I think we have I think we have preconceived notions about poverty. Where where are those where are those notions correct, and and where are some of those preconceived notions actually not correct? So I think some of the preconceived notions with poverty that we have, or that I think I had even before I started working as a case manager in my, in my old job at Oakland, was um, like if people would just get a job, they could like make it, but like. What is the, the phrase of um, the working poor? Mm -hmm. So you can get a job and still, it's expensive to be poor because you can't control, like if your, your checkbook overbounces, you're paying $35 a day for that, and so you can't get out of a hole. And then we have, you know, food stamps, right? We, we all have thoughts on food stamps, but you get a job and they rip your food stamps away, but you don't have a chance to like get on your feet before they take your government assistance away. Mm -hmm. And so I think that's where we're skewed a little bit when we look at those things. Mm -hmm. And so I think we have to, I mean, it's a systemic problem, yeah. right? Yeah, we, uh, I, I've been involved at working with a family where, um, uh, where the, it's a mom and three kids and she was, um, essentially in the social welfare system mm -hmm. and got a job um, and uh, and then her rent went up yep. um, and between rent and childcare she was poorer then than she was in the mm -hmm. in the system and and uh, we've been talking among clergy about how yeah. you know what that looks like how do we help what do you think people should know about poverty and its impact I think there's different types of poverty and it impacts people different we talk a lot in cities about inner city poverty, food deserts. We don't talk a lot about rural poverty and what that looks like. Um, we have, I mean, a big thing we have here in, in South Bend is food deserts, right? You see Myers and Martins are all on the edges of cities, and so people can't get there, which is why the mobile food pantry is great. Um, but the same thing happens in rural communities. So like Bourbon, Indiana, there's a subway. That's it. They have to drive to Warsaw or Plymouth for food. And so if you don't have a car, you can't get there. There's no food pantries in Bourbon. I'm sure the, the Methodist Church has one, but it's open like once a, once a week, but it, it can't serve the whole town. Yeah. Um, and the other thing like here in town is um, reaching people to like, I don't know, like not having the mac and cheese problem. We talk about this all the time. We give mac and cheese out, right? But what if they don't have milk and butter? Mm -hmm. You can't make it. So right. we have to like make sure we're we're seeing those things too. Right. Yeah. Yeah. We're gonna talk about Amos today. Gonna be a theological perspective. Uh, what Amos has to say to the church, but um, from a sociological perspective, one who has studied and is now in in the practice. What steps can or should individuals take? What steps could we take to address poverty and economic <laughs> injustice in our world today? Yeah. I mean, 
we can't, we gotta change the system, I think is the big thing. Mm -hmm. And the only thing, way I think we can change the whole like government is by, I don't know, like, I don't know, changing the government, it's a hard one. Um, yeah. As a food pantry, we can we can make sure we don't have the mac and cheese problem, right? right. So like in our in our um, spring break bags or our Thanksgiving bags is making sure we're giving them the mac and cheese cups instead mm -hmm. of the like boxes of mac and cheese. Thinking of ways of things like that. Um, and one way I think like might not have been impactful for like the church has seen, but when I was a case manager at Oaklawn, the amount of times we were asked for can openers, mm -hmm. and then we did the can opener drive here. So I don't know, yeah. Sue, how many can openers you've given out, but for me that was impactful. So She's nodding back there, <laughs> yes. <laughs> Lots of can openers. So it's, it's the little things. I think mm -hmm. we can change like little things that we just don't think about. Yeah. Yeah, so um, it's it's paying attention, right? It, it's paying attention. It's to the small details. To the small details, yeah. but also how it's all part of the system yeah. and recognizing that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, fantastic. Thank you, Kelly. This is yeah. a fantastic uh, setup as we get ready to talk about Amos today. Let's give uh, let's give God thanks for Kelly. And I want to thank Kelly for following this vocation into what is her ministry. There are, I know, difficult days um, working with young people where we don't have all the solutions and sometimes we can just do our best to be with them in the midst of the crisis and the, and the challenge. Let's, uh, let's pray. Holy God, may these words be a blessing. May our hearts and minds be open to what you would have to say to each one of us today. May we be anchored in your love in Jesus Christ. Amen. So what do you know about Amos? Right, uh, most of us know he had a, a famous cookie recipe. Became famous. Famous Amos cookies. You can get them in a vending machine. Just kidding, of course, that's a totally different Amos. I mean, at least I think so. Uh, although I did think if we wanted a truly prophetic, famous Amos cookie, what we ought to do is make them uh, uh, fortune cookies, where you, when you break it open, they all say the same thing inside, repent or face destruction. Wouldn't that be a fun fortune cookie? Kidding aside, Amos was a shepherd. We know that Amos was a shepherd because in Amos 1.1 it tells us that Amos was a shepherd. He was from Judah. Now, a quick little quick history lesson that'll that'll help us understand Amos and and his message. Uh, we need to know a little bit about Judah and Israel. So the kingdom of Israel came together uh, under King David, right? It became this this wonderful kingdom of God's people, and then it passed from King David to King Solomon. And the Bible tells us that Solomon began to turn away from God, right, to false gods, essentially to make his wives happy, because he had lots of wives from lots of different faith backgrounds. And at that point, things began to slip in the kingdom of Israel. When it came time, when Solomon was gone and it, the kingdom came to his sons, they couldn't hold it together. And it ended up splitting into two kingdoms, with Judah in the south and Israel in the north. Amos, we're told, is from Judah in the south, but God calls him to speak to the leadership of Israel 
about how upset God is. Anybody want that job today? Here's how you can imagine it. Imagine God comes to you and says, look, I know you have an everyday job, like most people, but I need you to go to Michigan, and I need you to tell the church people in Michigan that they are making a real mess of God's kingdom, and they need to change their ways. This is Amos's task, right? He's a brave guy because he does it. Now, before we look at what Amos says, we also need to think about who Amos is talking to. Amos is talking to Israel, the people of God. This isn't, this isn't pagans or people who worship other gods. These, these, these are the people of God that Amos is talking to, and, and more specifically, to the, to the leadership of the communities. Right? He's talking to people who live along a major trade route. It's the transportation route between Assyria and the Assyrian power in Egypt. And the leadership has been making deals with both to, to sort of make it work. And they've been gaining some wealth on being this, at the center of this. And God placed God's people here. This is the promised land. God placed God's people here and told them that they were blessed to be a blessing. Not just blessed, not just you're going to prosper here, but I will prosper you here so that you can be a blessing to others. The leaders, we also know at this time, are pretty comfortable. They have wealth, they have status. They're living in wealth and comfort. They're making these deals where they need to with the superpowers around them. Life is good. At least for the rulers and the well-to-do. But this is where Amos steps in. Because as we'll see in the words of Amos, life is not good for everyone. Now, Amos is a smart guy. He begins by telling Israel all the problems that its neighbors have. Right? He tells them all about the, the people in the lands around you. He keeps saying for three sins and even four, which is a way of saying for a whole lot of sinfulness in all of your neighbors, there will be consequences in God's judgment for all of them. And we can imagine the leaders of Israel hearing this word from Amos, this guy who's wandered up into our area to, to share this message and going, yeah, yeah, so much sin around us, all those bad people. God will judge all of them. And then Amos says this, for three sins of Israel, and even four I will not relent. They sell the innocent for silver and the needy for a pair of sandals. They trample on the heads of the poor as on the dust of the ground and deny justice to the oppressed. Father and son use the same girl and so profane my holy name. They lie down beside every altar on garments taken in pledge. In the house of their God, they drink wine taken as fines. Amos is calling out the people of God. He's calling out the haves for taking advantage of the have-nots. Amos is naming how their wealth and their comfort, even in the temple itself, is coming at the expense of others. 
and he is telling them that this is not the way. This is not the way of God. This is not the way of the people God is calling you to be. This is not the way of blessing. Now we can imagine the the leadership of Israel, right? It seemed really good when he was talking about the sinfulness of the neighbors, but now they're uncomfortable. They're like, whoa, hey. We don't want to hear this. I thought this was about our enemies. Like, we're the faithful people. We're the people of God. You can't say that thing, things like that about us. We, we're, we worship regularly. We do the things the book tells us to do. To which Amos says on behalf of God, they do not know how to do right, declares the Lord, who stores up their, in their fortresses what they have plundered and looted. And then a few verses later, the Lord says this through Amos, I hate, I despise your religious festivals. Your assemblies are a stench to me. And he stays on this. Even though you bring me burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them. Though you bring choice fellowship offerings, I will have no regard for them. Away with the noise of your songs. I will not listen to the music of your harps. But let justice Roll on like a river, righteousness like a never-failing stream. Amos can be a little hard to, to understand. It's language we, we can't always relate to, but, but I think this is what Amos is saying. This is how I interpret these difficult words. I think Amos is saying on behalf of God, you are not gathering to worship me. You're God. You're not gathering to hear the call to live into my ways. You're gathering for yourselves. You're gathering right now to fill up your own cup, no matter the the plight of others. Your token offerings, they mean little when people in your community are being taken advantage of by the very structures of society that protects your wealth and comfort. When the very wealth that you have is coming at the expense of others, of so many people who are hurting and starving. What I, God, desire is not your token worship. What I desire is the kind of worship and devotion that calls you to live in a way that brings justice and caring and goodness to all of my creation, all of my children. There's this great little story in the Gospel of Mark. Some of you may may know it. Jesus and disciples are sitting near the temple area where the offerings are made, and and Mark tells us that the rich are coming and putting in their their obligatory offering, and then a, a widow comes, and she puts in two small coins. And Mark doesn't say this, but I, I like to imagine this story, because I, 
I think it helps to get an idea of the context, right? It's a hot day in, in Israel at the temple. There, there wouldn't be a lot of shade. It's a hot day, and Jesus and the disciples are, are sitting right across from there, and they're hot, and they're, you know, they've, they've had lunch. They're sitting through the afternoon. The disciples are getting sleepy. I just imagine Jesus turning to me like, hey, wake up, pay attention. I want to show you something. And then, according to the Gospel of Mark, Jesus says this, Truly I tell you, this poor widow has put more into the treasury than all the others. They gave out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put in everything, all she had to live on. When we put this story together with Amos, we're I think we're invited to ask the question, do we come to worship? Do we pray? Do we go through the motions of religion for ourselves or for God? Do we offer God a token of our, of our time and, and or our treasure and then leave being okay that it's, it's, the world isn't as God intends and that's, that is what it is? Or do we offer God our lives? Do we desire what God desires? This is the challenge of Amos to God's people. Now, we're not going to read all nine chapters of, of Amos today, but if you do, you're going to find there's a whole lot of doom and gloom, like a whole lot of judgment in Amos. It's, it's not necessarily a fun read. Things like this appear the time will surely come when you will be taken away with hooks, the last of you with fish hooks. That doesn't sound so pleasant, right? Or this, there will be wailing in all the streets and cries of anguish in every public square. The farmers will be summoned to weep and the mourners to wail. Now, I don't know about you, but when I read the prophets, it feels like it would be really easy to be like, yeah, that's the Old Testament. We know Jesus now, and, and so that, that, that's, that's back there in the, in the Old Testament. But instead of dismissing the doom and gloom, we might notice something within it. What Amos says is what will happen if justice isn't maintained. Amos is saying these are the things that are going to happen if people continue to be hurt and taken advantage of, if the poverty gap continues to grow, Amos says, this is, this is what's going to happen. And that is what happened. Right? As poverty grows, as people are hurting, community falls apart. Trust fails. Unity begins to, to crumble. And then, when a threat comes, the country, the, the people of God, in this case Israel, they lack the unity and the strength to stand against it. It falls. Israel falls. But Amos' end goal, it isn't to pronounce judgment. It's to warn of the consequences, sure, but it's not to pronounce judgment. Amos' end goal is to invite people to see another way, to reclaim the story that they are blessed to be a blessing. 
Judgment is what happens if the people continue on the path that they're on. Ignoring poverty, taking advantage of others. Amos's call is to invite the people to repent, to turn from that path, to care for the people in their midst, to, to not just be blessed and comfortable, but then to give their lives to be a, a blessing, to realize what the poverty is doing in their community, and to make a change, to do something about it. Amos says this in verse 5, in chapter 5, verse 14, seek good, not evil that you may live, then the Lord God Almighty will be with you just as you say he is. And then he goes on to say, hate evil, love good. Maintain justice in the courts. And let me just say real quickly, the courts is like, it's, it's not a court of law like we think of today. The courts would be essentially where justice is handled by the leaders at the city gate. Maintain justice at the center of your community. Perhaps the Lord God Almighty will have mercy on the remnant of Joseph. And the good news today is that God does have mercy on the remnant. God will send Jesus to show the path to live again in God's way, creating the kind of of community that God desires. So what does all this mean for us? Abraham Joshua Heschel was a Jewish rabbi and and theologian. He wrote a book called The Prophets. And if you want to have a better understanding of of the prophets in the Bible, if you've read through the prophets, you're like, I don't, this is uncomfortable. I don't understand all of this. Heschel's book, The Prophets, is a fantastic way to learn more about the prophets of the Bible. In the book, Heschel writes these words that I have found since I first read them to be both challenging and insightful, enlightening. Few are guilty, but all are responsible. Few are guilty, but all are responsible. I remember a number of years ago, there, uh, when there was a, the, a rash of stories, some of you probably remember this, there was a rash of stories in the news about where our goods come from, where they're being made. Right? We became uh, aware of how our clothing and our shoes and our computers, how they were being made in places where, where people were being enslaved in companies and kids were being forced into, into labor. And there was this kind of uprising at the time to, to hold companies responsible for how they were treating those, those workers Right? There was a movement to ask, where do, where do the shoes I'm wearing, the clothes I'm, I'm wearing, where does, where does the computer I'm, I'm using, where do they come from, who, who makes it, and, and what are the working conditions for them? A few companies at that time were, were held accountable. Some, some made some changes. Now, we're not guilty of setting up a plant that abuses children. I mean, I, at least I hope we're not. I hope you're not. Right? We're not guilty of unfair labor practices that, that make some super rich while those doing the work live under the poverty line. Again, at least we hope not. But God invites us to be responsible. 
God invites us to, to wake up to the injustices that keep people and hold people in poverty. God invites us to care, to avoid turning a blind eye to the injustices and the poverty in our world. You see, we're invited by God's word to wake up to poverty among us and see the effect that it has on our community. God awakens us to pay attention to those who are paying the cost of the comfort and security and excess that we enjoy. Nelson Mandela once said, poverty is not an accident. Like slavery and apartheid, it is man-made and can be removed by the actions of human beings. Do we believe this? Do we believe that with the power of God, we can address the issues of poverty and relieve the poverty in our community? It'd be a lot easier to say, well, Amos was talking to a different people a, a long time ago, not to us. Poverty isn't something we can solve. It's never going away. But, but if we ignore Amos because it makes us uncomfortable, we might miss this. Through the word of Amos, God shows God's people a way to a better community, a way to experience what God wants for all of us. Every family, every individual that we lift out of poverty makes our community stronger and better. Right? God, God's word says, you want to strengthen your community? Lift up those who are suffering and hurting, and your entire community will be the stronger for it, able to withstand the challenges that come to it. Now, we sit here today, and we know that there are not easy answers. If we got into the politics of addressing poverty, right, there would be yelling in the room, <laughs> God's word through Amos, right, allows us maybe to claim that there is a path we can all start on together. Perhaps we can start with the truth that when, when the poor are mistreated, when people are hurting and suffering in our community, God can't be happy. And we know this because we we can feel it in the pain in our community. I remember when I was 13 years old, it's 13, 13 years old, it was 1985, Cardinals were in the World Series. That's how I date my life. The Cardinals were in the World Series against the Kansas City Royals, and my family had tickets to game five. I rooted against the Cardinals in game four and have regretted it my entire life because they'd won the first three games of the series and I really needed them to lose one, so they lost one, so I could go to a game. And then they lost the series, but that's a different story. I got out of school early. I was excited. We arrived in St. Louis well before the game so we could walk up to the stadium. I had my World Series ticket in one hand. I bought a button that had little lights that glowed for like 20 bucks um, and would only work for that night. 
I was so excited to go to this World Series game. I had been to Cardinal games multiple times in my life. I don't know why it happened on that night. Maybe because I was holding a ticket that I could have sold on the street for like 200 bucks. This was a great ticket. It was like, it was, it was right behind Marge shot seats in the box seats. Um, I was hanging on this ticket and we walked by this woman who had a sign that said, I need food for me and my children. I'll never forget it. I had this World Series ticket in my hand. I was so excited, and I saw this woman, and I remember looking up at my mom and dad and trying to figure out what, what we're supposed to do. There's this woman right here who is hungry, and I have a ticket that like, could feed her for three weeks in my hand. And I was taught by all the people that you just walk by. Now, I know that selling that ticket and giving the woman the money was not going to solve poverty. But I also know that I woke up that day and realized that this is not the kind of community I want to live in where a, a mother and her children are hungry. And I want to be a part of, of the kind of, of community, that, the, the kind of church that goes out there and lifts people up and makes a difference and makes our community a better place. I want to be part of a kind of community where if we see something that breaks God's heart, it breaks our hearts too, and we can't do nothing. So perhaps we can take two steps inspired by Amos together. One, Shine a light on the realities of poverty. Understand it. Learn about it. See how we are part of systems that sustain it. Investigate the systems that cause it and ask the hard questions together. We can do that. Even when we don't agree on the path to solutions. Two, Claim our responsibility as God's people to be a blessing. Not simply to be blessed, but to be blessed to be a blessing. To work together for what God desires. And what does God desire? What is it that we're invited to work toward? Amos says this, for justice to roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream.